0: Hello oh, and welcome to Once Upon a Teacher. I'm James Newman, a trainee teacher and psychologist. If you've listened before, thank you. Thanks for coming back. You'll know that we normally have a guest in and I interview that guest. I as the willing idiot and really try and take as much information, ask simple questions and, and get very good answers and get them as much information on that topic as I can. But this topic today, I'm slightly less of an idiot about because as a psychologist, I worked regularly with motivation, motivation of people, motivation in organizational settings, in sport, And there's lots of theories out there. There's a lot of misconception about how motivation works. So I thought it'd be a good topic to apply to the classroom and hopefully there's something helpful. So we'll talk about what motivation is. We'll talk about one of my favorite theories, which is a great theory. And we'll talk about how we can apply that to the classroom. We'll look at rewards. Are they useful? Are they not useful? We'll go into that detail. So self-determination theory is one of the the probably most cited uh, pieces of theory and research in, in in the world of psychology applied to a lot of different domains, including education. And self-determination is essentially when we feel we have more control over our life, that our lives are going in a direction that we want them to go in, the behaviours that we're being asked to do, we, we kind of want to do, and, and maybe they're self, uh, we're self-motivated in that sense. And so we're really aiming for ourselves and those that we work with to have this kind of self-determined motivation because self-determined motivation is is more reliable it's more likely to be sustained through challenges through failures whereas if you're always being told what to do and why to do it you don't really necessarily develop that desire to do it yourself then that form of motivation is far more flexible and when that stimulus the reward or the punishment is taken away the the behavior is less likely to uh, to continue so We'll talk a little bit more detail in a moment, but let's start with a part of the theory that is called the basic psychosocial needs. So it's called basic needs theory. And essentially this says that we have three basic psychosocial needs in life, the need for competence, for autonomy and relatedness. And these are often shortened to the acronym CAR. So competence is essentially, do I feel I'm good at this, this task? And it's a simple psychological rule that if I feel I'm good at something, I'm more likely to uh, approach it. If I feel I'm bad at something, I'm more likely to avoid it. So how do we increase competence? Well, we look at optimal challenge. So we try and pitch a level of challenge that is gonna make that child struggle a little bit, but eventually succeed. That's gonna increase competence. If we put a challenge that's too easy and they succeed, we won't improve their sense of competence if we put a challenge that's too hard and they fail that's likely to undermine uh, confidence if we give uh, positive feedback that can increase competence but if we give too much it becomes like white noise and it stops improving competence so we've got to be quite frugal with the 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 amount of feedback and praise that we give on the other hand if we give too much negative feedback that's going to undermine competence So competence is really important. If we feel we're good at maths, we're more likely to try a challenging problem. If we feel we have no ability in maths, we're less likely to want to do that. Autonomy is about choice. So we might think as teachers, well, we can't really give children loads of choice because what if one child wants to do one thing and one child wants to do the other? And I get that. There has to be some structure for teachers, but ways that you could offer choice in, in your day are, you know, what sports should we do in these weeks and what sports should we do in the next weeks if there's a choice there. Or it could be as simple as, okay, in this extension task, there's there's two options. So which one you want to choose is up to you. There's loads of ways to put little bits of choice in and that can just help improve autonomy and that will help improve a more internalised form of, of motivation for any task. But aside from choice, autonomy is also about reason? Do I understand why I'm being asked to do do something? What's the relevance of this learning, for example? If I understand that, that's going to increase autonomy because I'm more likely to want to do it in and of itself for my own reasons. What's going to undermine autonomy is there's no choice. A child doesn't doesn't understand why they're being asked to do something, and all that's imposed on them is threats and deadlines to do the task. Otherwise, there'll be some consequence. So, that's autonomy. And the final thing is relatedness. And I think Teachers generally are pretty good at this, I have to say. I think classrooms are good environments for relatedness. So relatedness is when you feel that you're in an environment and, and performing in an environment, doing tasks in an environment that is respectful of you, that is caring, that's inclusive, where you feel safe and secure. What will undermine relatedness is, is comparison. So, okay, look at your work and look at Jack's work next to you. Look how much more he's done you're creating there a sense of competition and that's going to undermine relatedness. Similarly, if you read out the spelling st- scores and, you know, little Tommy's got two out of 10 again and the rest of the class is on eight out of 10, that's going to undermine both competence and relatedness. So with, and and relatedness can be quite subtle. So a child could feel very related to the class as a whole, but within English, if they feel they're not competent, they're maybe going to feel like they're, they're out on a limb and, and that's going to affect motivation as well. So the first place I would look if, if a child is struggling for motivation for a particular area, task or subject, are those three basic needs. Do they feel competent? If not, how can I make them feel more competent? Do they feel that they have enough choice in this? If not, how can I increase choice or how can I increase a relevance of why they should be attempting this task? And do they feel related? Do they feel an, ex- an outsider? Have I created a sense of competition that's not been healthy between the children? Where, where can I work on those three areas? Okay, so that's the first thing to think about. The next thing to think about is what forms of motivation there actually are. So you probably know about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation and they're often presented as a an either or. You're either intrinsically motivated or extrinsically motivated. And these, of course, will relate to a specific task. So I might be very intrinsically motivated to eat a chocolate cake, but I might be very extrinsically motivated if I'm asked to do my tax return. So, you know, I don't want to do the tax return. The threat of a fine is what makes me do it. Um, but nobody has to threaten me or reward me to to make me eat the donut. So we we're both going to be we're going to be operating on e- either one of these. But in actual fact it's not an either or. And this is where things get really useful I think in this theory. So instead of looking at it as either intrinsic or extrinsic, think of motivation as being on a continuum from left to right. Now, on the far left there is the most external form of regulation. So I'm only doing this behaviour because you've threatened uh, to punish me or you've said I'll get this reward if I do it. That's the only reason. If you take away that reward and you take away that punishment, there's no chance I'm doing it. So that's the far left of the continuum. On the far right of the continuum is what we would think of as intrinsic motivation. I have to put a warning here though. Intrinsic motivation is often misunderstood. Intrinsic, true intrinsic regulation is only when I get a joy out of doing the activity itself. And we'll explain why that might be different to some of the definitions you've heard before. So, if I give an example of um, a child who doesn't want to to do some maths homework, for example. Okay, so they they don't want to do homework and they take it home and their mum says, If you do not do this homework you are staying in your room, okay? You're not coming out of your room until you've done it. So there's a punishment there. Or maybe the parent says, right, I'm putting five pounds on that table. If you do your homework, that five pound is yours. So now the child has this homework, which they have no desire to do, absolutely no internal desire. And it's this math homework, they're rubbish at math, they're low in competence, um, they're low in autonomy because they didn't choose whether to do it or not. They do not want to do it. So. At this stage, we would call that external regulation. The only reason that they're gonna engage in a behavior, their why, is because there's a nice reward or there's a punishment. If the child was to move in on that continuum, just slightly to the right, we would have something called introjected regulation. The name's not really important, but this is where the child is anticipating What will happen if they do the homework. So maybe they've remembered last week where their mum said, You're gonna have to stay in your room, or the mum said, You're gonna get this five pound reward. And they go, Well, I don't really want to do the maths homework again this week. I really don't want to do it. I hate maths. But I might get punished if I don't, or my mum might be angry if I don't, or maybe my mum, if I do it, will offer me a reward. So now I'm doing the homework, not because I enjoy it because I don't, but because I might avoid punishment or I might get rewards. So this is slightly different. There's no actual reward or punishment in the environment. It's not been threatened yet, but I, I can remember what happened last time. And I know that it might disappoint my mum. So I'll do it. I don't want let, to let anyone down. Moving slightly to the right, again, we've got identified regulation. Now this is where we're getting somewhat internalized for our reason for wanting to do it. Our why is becoming a bit more internal. So now I go, yeah, you know what? I I really don't like maths. I feel I'm rubbish at maths. But I do want to kind of impress my mum. And my mum's what she thinks of me is is kind of important. I really value her opinion and and you know, she thinks that scholarship is is and working hard as a student is important. So I'm kind of I want to fulfill that I, I, and actually maybe this scholarship this working hard thing is is not a bad thing to to work on as well. So I still don't like the homework. I don't like maths, but you know what? It, it is important to work hard. So I'm going to do it because I want to work hard. So now the motivation is changing slightly. It's not about whether I've got a motive to do the homework. I still probably don't, but doing the homework represents fulfilling this idea of scholarship. So I do it for that reason. Now we're getting more self-determined. And if we move even further to the right, We've still got a form of external motivation, but it's more like the intrinsic motivation. So let me explain it. Now we've got something called integrated regulation. This is where I actually look forward to getting my maths homework now. Not because I like maths, I still might really struggle with it, I still might not enjoy the process of it that much, but I really see it as an opportunity that is, completely linked, integrated with this idea of working hard and being a good student and now I value that so much I really want to be one of those people who works for the results, works for uh, the ability to learn I've got this kind of love of being able to be a scholar and if I do my maths homework that is an opportunity so now I'm actually looking positively at the maths, not because I love the actual task but because it will fulfil this desire to be a good student and, or, or work hard And then we move to the furthest right of this continuum and this is true intrinsic motivation, intrinsic regulation. This is where it gets confused because if I have true intrinsic regulation, it means that sitting down with that homework, I love solving math challenges. I love doing these calculations. There is a pure joy in and of itself. I'm not doing it to be a good scholar. I'm not doing it to avoid punishment or get a reward. I'm just doing it because the act of doing it is brilliant. And do you know what? Even if I didn't get set homework, I would get that book out and I would look for problems to solve because I just enjoy it so much. Now, what we have to be realistic about is that most students will not get to that stage with most subjects. So, Don't think that you need your students to be intrinsically motivated because true intrinsic motivation is rare in most things. I might be intrinsically motivated to eat the donut. And you know what? I might even apply it to some subjects like uh, I I love um, coming up with creative sentences. So that for me is intrinsically motivating. I don't know if maths problems will ever be intrinsically motivating for me, but they don't need to be. And this is where the important thing comes in. If you want to increase motivation with your children, don't look at it as a a case that you've got to get them from, they're not at all motivated to intrinsically motivated. Look at how do you just move them slowly along that scale from less self-determined, more external towards more internal. So how do you do that? Well, let's take a pause for a second. And I'm gonna give you a little bit of a story from when I was a psychologist. So I worked with uh, an athlete And she's a a good little athlete. And she'd got a scholarship to study in the US on a a sports scholarship. And she was a great, great person, but she had this sense that she was really poor socially. She had a bit of social anxiety. And she would come to me and she'd say, you know, I, I just hate having to talk to people. I feel like I'm spluttering, that I don't have anything interesting to say. And at this point, I was thinking, well, actually, she is pretty good socially. She got on with me well. She, I've seen her talking to other people and she obviously feels she comes across badly, but she doesn't. So I thought, OK, she's going off to college in the States. I don't want her to be isolated. It's important that she has this skill that she's able to get out there and, and socialize. So I thought, we'll we'll work on that for a little bit. And... When she was talking about this, it would have been very easy for me to go, you know what? I'm going to work on your competence by saying you are really good socially. You do get on well with people. But she was so entrenched in this view that she wasn't that she would not have taken that on board. She she would have seen that as false reassurance. And so we had to take a different tack. And I'm saying that about false reassurance because there will be some children who go, Miss, I'm... I'm not doing this maths. I'm rubbish at maths, and actually, maybe their their past history of of maths homework, of maths uh, exercises, is that they're way behind the rest of the class. And we can't lie to them and 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 convince them. It, it gets to an age where the child knows that they're not as strong as other children, and trying to convince them they are is is really empty. So here's what we did with with this girl. We said, okay, what if it wasn't about socialising? as a goal for you but but something that you value. So I I knew her well by this point and I knew that she valued taking on challenges and and, and courage. These were things we'd worked on in her sport and I said, "Well, look, we're going to set up some tasks for you. And I want you to be clear, the, these are social tasks, but I don't care how you do socially. That's not the, the the aim of the game here. The aim is just to be courageous. These are tasks and courage. So we set up these exercises where she had to go and just go and chat to people on the street, ask them a question. We'd send her into shops to buy something and she had to ask the cashier how the day had been, if they got any holidays booked, things like that. And and then we extended it to things like, she had to do stupid things like ask people where the bus stop was while stood at the bus stop. And and it, it got quite fun. But what we um, were aiming to do there was exposure. The way that I got her to do that exposure was through this. The reason, the why for her was just be courageous. Take these opportunities to be courageous. If you fail at the social thing, who cares? You've got an opportunity to be courageous. And this is relevant because when we're looking at this continuum, if we go back to this child who doesn't want to do maths homework because they feel the rubbish at maths and they don't feel the value, we can look at changing the frame. So for the girl that, I was working with, we changed the frame from being good socially to just being courageous and taking on challenges. What could this frame be changed for, for that child? And that's what you need to think about. So when you've got your children in the classroom, and maybe uh, you might be a little bit concerned about motivation for some children, try and visualise them with two question marks over their head and see if you can answer the questions that are there. And The first question is, what is their why? Why are they doing this task or why aren't they doing this task? Is their why clear? If their why is clear, what stage is that why at? Is it external regulation at the far left? Is it a little bit external, a a little bit more internal, but still external in regulation so that they're only doing it because otherwise they'll get in trouble? Are they doing it because actually they enjoy it or they enjoy persevering or they enjoy the challenge? Where are they? If they have more self-determined, they're further to the right of the scale, crack on they're, they're fine. If you think that the child is only doing something because there's a punishment threatened or they would feel bad or excluded if they didn't do it, then you're on the left of the scale and this is where things are a little bit more fragile and we want to start moving them towards the right of the scale. So if their only why is well I'll get in trouble if I don't or it's expected, start to work on how you can get them to value the task by changing the frame and that changing the frame could be finding something they value like um, working hard taking on a challenge so I'll give you an example so let's say that I have that child who doesn't want to do the maths work and is saying you know Mr Newman I really I just can't do it I don't know how to do it I'm rubbish at it I might say to that child okay I'll tell you what we do I'm not going to mark this work that you do. I don't care if you get every question wrong. It doesn't matter to me how many uh what mark you get. If you want me to look at it at the end, I'll look at it. But this is up to you, okay. But what I would like you to do is not forget about the maths, make this about a challenge for you. Can you, for 20 minutes that's left in this lesson, work the hardest that you've ever worked? Put the most struggling that you've ever struggled, not struggle as in helpless struggle, but really working, persevering. And if you've done that, whatever your maths looks like, I'm gonna be proud of you. Now we're focusing the child on a value. The frame is about can I fulfill this value of really working hard, struggling, fighting, resilience, instead of am I good at maths? And that can be a really useful distraction. And what might happen there, and it might not, but it might, is that the child actually struggles for those 20 minutes, works the hardest they works, and they get to some sort of solution. And maybe they improve their competence in maths. And maybe they reinforce this idea of working hard. I'm not saying this is going to happen overnight. This is, you know, things that you might need to repeat again and again. But we might start then to move that child along that scale so that we don't have to have that type of intervention. They see the reason for doing something. Their why becomes, well, I might not be great at maths, but I do value working hard. Or maybe their value becomes, actually, I'm better at maths than I thought, and and I want to improve that, and maybe they value that scholarship. But that's one way to, to go. Now, let's bring in rewards. So what are rewards? So learning can certainly be its own reward, but if you think you're really rubbish at maths or geography, then learning isn't its own reward. So can you use things like external rewards, stickers of book tokens of whatever? My opinion, and everyone has their own opinion, but my opinion is if your child really is at the far left of that scale where they they have very little motivation other than threats of punishment or guilt or feeling that they have to do it but they don't want to, then I don't see any problem with using a temporary reward. So for this child who I've said let's change the frame and make it about struggle about working hard perseverance if they give me that 20 minutes I might go you know what I'm really proud of that here's why I'm proud of it and I'm not going to give you this every time but I do want to acknowledge your work so here's a sticker here's an extra five minutes break time so I might put that in place I think if rewards stop being useful if they are the same and they're consistent they start losing their power right so it's a novelty at first and then they stop meaning things and also if you keep those rewards in place for for a long term what you're actually risk doing is keeping the child to the left of that scale so i do this because i get a reward that's my why and actually we need to be more nuanced than that we need to find their why and internalize it and stickers can help to do that and, and sorry External rewards can help to start doing that. But actually the ideal is that if you do give any type of reward, it's it's kind of unpredicted. So you you don't know when it's gonna come. You do it as a, a recognition of perhaps really good work, but it's not something that's there every time. As I said at the start, it might be that it's there for a, a little bit of a period if the child's really not motivated, but you wanna kind of phase it out. So I hope that kind of makes sense. I hope it's useful. In summary. We don't have just intrinsic or intrinsic, we have a continuum of motivation from left to right. If your child that you're working with is really lacking motivation for a particular task, you can use some form of reward, but actually look at changing the frame. How do I push them towards the right? Is it by valuing scholarship, hard work, uh, commitment, um, working for the class, working for the team? It might be those things. Also, don't forget those three psychosocial needs competence, autonomy and relatedness. How can you increase those things? If you think about motivation in this way, hopefully you'll start to see some children come unstuck. I hope that's interesting. If you've got any questions, fire them through. Um, Otherwise, thanks for joining and hopefully we'll speak to you next week.